Hello, 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 Fort Worth. What is up, guys? Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Fort Worth Freedom Review. We are a show about local politics that aims to get more people engaged in local issues. Thank you for joining us. My name is Anthony Sosa, and I'm here today with you guys to discuss the Texas Tribune interview of Maddie Parker. This thing made, made some headways, headwaves, headwaves, made some waves. There we go. Made some waves kind of this week, uh, briefly in the media in regards to her answers to some of these questions, particularly ones regarding her relationship with the Republican Party. Uh, so we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We're going to take a deep dive into this one. Uh, and we're going to listen to the majority of the interview and see what Parker has to say on a bunch of different issues. So um, before we get to that, as always, all of the resources used in this episode will be provided below in the show notes. The video interview that we'll be going through this will be the link to that will be down there. I, I recommend you watch it as well. Um, this podcast is made possible by the Justice Reform League, a Fort Worth based nonprofit. You can sign up for our newsletter and get updates on Fort Worth political news and deep dives into local issues like today at our website, justicereformleague.net. Feel free to contact us if you have any episode ideas or additional stories you would like us to cover or additional people you would like for us to talk to. Um, we recently had someone hit us up asking for, for us to kind of have more people from local organizations on. So we're going to try and do that here in the near future. If you have connects or if you yourself would like to come on and, ha and have stuff you'd like to say, uh, hit us up. You can hit us up on Twitter at FW Review. You can also hit us up on Instagram at that same handle, FW Review. And you can, uh, no, I'm so sorry. Instagram is at Fort Worth Freedom Review. And then you can also send us a Gmail uh, at FWFreedomReview at gmail.com. So uh, before we kind of get into it today, I do just want to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. I, I'm doing this one solo again today. Uh, things are getting kind of, uh, you know, just busy for everybody. Uh, Christopher Rose is currently looking for a new apartment in Seattle. She's going to be moving up there soon. So we, she's going to try and be on if she has time. But to be honest, and I know moving's crazy. Uh, so she, she may or may not be back with us before, before she moves. Um, but certainly love to have her back on it if she's able to do so. Uh, Thomas isn't feeling well. He's been battling some health problems, and so he can't be with us today. And then Amber, I, I was going to do this episode with Amber, but her school uh, has taken precedent. She really just needs to get a lot of that schoolwork done. So we're letting her do that. So uh, it's just going to be me, but we're going to have not just my voice this whole time. We're going to have the voice of our mayor on for a good majority of it. So I'm actually really excited about this. This was a really interesting conversation. Um, she's gonna, we're gonna open up with here in just a moment, her kind of comparing uh, real life politics to TV shows like Veep uh, and Parks and Recreation. So we're gonna hear her comments on that, but she's also gonna get, gonna get into things like the Fort Worth economy, which I was really kind of, uh, I really liked what she had to say about that. Uh, she's going to talk about women in the workforce, specifically Medicaid expansion, which is one of the things that made the headlines, her take on Medicaid. Um, she also is going to talk about property taxes, just kind of in general. She discusses crime, uh, education. She's going to talk, they're going to ask her a really good question about voting uh, and voting rights and kind of the crackdown on that sort of thing. Uh, Fort Worth compared to Austin, which was really interesting. And then we're going to kind of end up with, at the end of the cast here, 
what she had to say about the Republican Party. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and open up uh, her kind of making this uh, comparison to, uh, you know, of, of what she has to deal with in real life to, uh, to things like TV. So let's see what she has to say about this. It's, it's, I'll say this jokingly, but I'm actually serious. If you've watched Parks and Recreation and anybody have watched Veep, politics is sort of a murder of the two of those things. And, and it's something will happen. Mike and I can agree to this every day. And you're like, this was literally a scene from Parks and Recreation season two. This just happened, even though we're a large city. Yeah. And that sort of makes, makes you realize that you're unprepared for all the things, right? You can make promises. You can think about that to your point about campaigning. Right. And the day-to-day is, can be a grind, and you just kind of have to keep your head down and keep going. Are you frustrated that you can't get more done or get more done quickly? That's one of the realities of this job, I imagine, is that the wheels of government grind very slowly. You think you can just come in and yeah. wave your wand and everything gets fixed, and even if you have good intentions and good ideas. It's both, though, for Fort Worth right now. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's, yes, the things that are bureaucratic, and you get frustrated because right. you can't change things fast enough. Right. But we also are the fastest growing city in the country. So sometimes the, 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 the intensity with which things are happening are frankly hard to keep up with. And you're having to play defense a lot and try to make the best decision for the greatest amount of good in a city that's about to pass a million people. So that's, that's very hard yeah. um, for us to do. Um, so I think, I think it's really truthfully just a balance um, year over year. It will be for us. I, I'll say this, though. If you're careful and you looked at what I talked about while campaigning, I was, I was lucky because I have been on the other side of the desk before going, please don't say that out loud because we can't actually do that. Yep. Um, I remember that so that when I was talking and campaigning, I promised several things. And I think I'm fulfilling that promise. It may not be perfect. The number one thing is we're going to work together and find compromise wherever possible. And we're trying to leave partisanship at the door. And while it has not been perfect, today was a great example of what it looks like for a group of people, nine of us around a table, that are incredibly different to force ourselves to come to consensus for what's best for all people in Fort Worth, regardless of whether or not people label us as Republican or Democrat. That was number one to me. Yeah. And then we can talk about the other issues that I think sure. we're starting to move on. So I'm glad you mentioned population. We're going to come back to that. And you mentioned partisanship. We're going to come back to that. So she's referring to the meeting she's referring to was, is the uh, redistricting meeting. They finally came to a decision on the redistricting. And so we're going to cover that in a later episode. But yeah, I don't know. I wanted, I really enjoyed watching this interview. Uh, and by the way, I guess if you haven't noticed already, uh, listener, I, this is sped up just a teeny bit. Uh, and so if you listen to your podcasts sped up a teeny bit, it might sound really fast. Uh, I, so I, just, I, I, I don't. You know, I can't, we got is a forty-five minute interview. We're not going to watch the entire thing, obviously, but even with the clips, um, still going to be kind of chunky time-wise. So I'm just going to try and uh, you know kind of speed that along with this. Um, but I you you really do get to kind of see Maddie being a realist uh, in a way, and she's speaking much more candidly than I really feel like we ever got to see Betsy speak. I mean, Betsy seemed to really be your traditional politician where you're kind of like, you know, putting on your fake politician personality whenever you deal with the public. And Maddie's not doing that. And I think that's really like more of a representation of people from, I hate to say this, from our generation, from millennials of like, you know, we just don't have time for all the bullshit, you know, in regards to being fake, you know, that's just not appealing. I don't think anymore uh, to most voters, to most people. So let's uh, let's not, you know, let's not do that. It's just let's just be real. And so she 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 is doing that. Um, so we're gonna continue on. She, I'm gonna skip us ahead a little bit to the 12 minute mark. If you're following at home, if you're if you're watching this video. Um, so Evan 
Evan uh, is has really long-winded questions. They're really good questions, but he'll kind of give an anecdote about himself and then kind of, you know, ask a really long, you know, multiple-pointed question. So I'm trying to, like, kind of cut those down as much as possible so we can hear hear Maddie. But at the same time, uh, I want us to understand the context of, of, of the questions she's being asked since they are kind of nuanced questions, which is fantastic. Um, so here she is. Let's, let's see kind of where this starts. So rather than create a new program, they turned around and gave checks to people that needed them as fast as possible to try to keep businesses afloat. Yeah, it's amazing. So on the question of the economy, has the economy come back? I'm, I'm traveling around now to cities around Texas, and I'm essentially kicking the tires of their economies to try to understand. You know, the Texas economy as a state is a battleship. We knew it. We know it. It's come roaring back. The comptroller has said, we may have as much of a, as a $25 billion surplus heading into the next legislative session. My eyeballs fly out of my head every time I, I say those words. Um, but individually, the cities, your city, do you feel like the economy's come back? Not for everybody. Um, I think broadly speaking, sure. We are successful by a lot of metrics. Businesses are booming. Certain industries are doing incredibly well, and you could click through the list of that. But the, the reality remains for our communities, especially those that live in poverty, did before COVID, do now, um, are not in a better place at all. And we right. haven't as a community and as a state acknowledged that. Um, and I think we'll talk about education eventually, but yeah. we still have the cliff we had before COVID and now it's only exasperated because of um, the experience of our students. And that is the future of Texas right now. Yeah. And here in Fort Worth, and those are the people I worry about, Evan, and who are left out of the economy um, because we are not training them in a way and preparing them for the future jobs. By 2036 in, the, in, the, in Tarrant County, 71% of your jobs will require some type of post-secondary credential. That's not necessarily a four-year degree. That's a credential post-high school to be successful, make a living wage, have a career path, career path live in Fort Worth, raise a family. Yeah. Only 23% of our students in Tarrant County ever make it to a two-year or four-year credential. And if you aggregate it by economic status, it's 14%. That's true across Texas. We right. have to look in the mirror and face that. And, you know, organizations like 2036 and others are leading the effort in the charge. And we're doing things right now in Tarrant County right. to change but that. But you make the point that people did suffer economically during the pandemic. Also, the rich got richer in a lot of cases. Sure, I absolutely. look at I look at how the net worth of the wealthiest Texans went up over the last two years. Mm -hmm. It really has widened the gulf between the two. Yeah. So I'm so glad Evan is bringing, bringing up the income gap. Um, she's kind of talking, framing this in a, in a way that she's, she's done before in the past in regards to, like, this being a problem with education and being a problem with graduation rates. Uh, and post sec, like she said, post secondary education. Um, I mean, it's it's bigger than that. It's certainly bigger than that. And so I'm glad he's kind of he's he's zooming out a little bit with this question. And she she uh, you know agrees with him that that that's the case. So and educational can, attainment is my point of that. Right, right. Yeah. So what can you as a mayor do about that? You can't do anything about it fast, but what can you do about it at all to solve that? You problem? you have to plan long term. And maybe because of what I was doing before I became mayor, focused in education, it was yeah. the reason I left my career is to fully acknowledge the work we're doing right now in Tarrant County, I will not be mayor when we declare success. I can promise you. Somebody else will be in this seat. I found this interesting. She straight up says, I'm not going to be mayor when we declare success, economic success, meaning like recovering. I, am, I, I assume that's what she's talking about. Um, what what does that entail? You know, what what does she mean by that? Does she mean this is good? We're not going to succeed for a long time. You know, economics takes a long time to to happen. This could be a decade or longer. She's not planning on running for mayor multiple times or being in the mayor's seat at that time. Or is she not talking about like that? Is she meaning like she's not running for mayor again? Like that's 
I, I, what I was really kind of not confused when she said that, but it, might, it made my ears perk up. It was very strange that she, you, you usually don't hear about politicians just kind of refer to themselves not being in office um, to, you know, so not to spoil in each future chance of running for office, you know. Um, so I wonder what she's got in mind, you know, like she obviously is is has, you know, her next, you know, few steps planned out. So is this mayor temporary thing? And if. And I, I say that because, you know, I'm kind of, you know, you know, spoiler alert or whatever. But if you haven't seen the articles, like at the end of the podcast, she distances herself from the Republican Party and essentially says that she wouldn't be able to even like stand running in a primary, a Republican primary, because she's not as cutthroat, doesn't have the you know, the Republican credentials or whatever to do that. And, I, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that quote. We'll get to her saying that. But. If she feels that way, is she is this just like a one term sort of thing, which when you if that's the case, which I don't know, like, I don't know how strongly I even feel about that. I'm just bringing it up as a possibility. I don't know if I would bet on that or not, um, but it's possible. But there's a benefit to that. If you do say, OK, this is it. This is the only time I'm in office. Um, I'm not going to run again then you kind of have the leeway, the freedom, in a sense, to like push and advocate for things that could be potentially, you know, politically, uh, you know, problematic or whatever. But you can do it because you're not running for office again anyways. It's, I mean, it's essentially what Kristen Sinema uh, has been doing, blocking up the Senate uh, this, this, you know, this whole year, um, you know, and last year. Uh, she, uh, she doesn't have any, seems like she's running again. And I think so you can get away with doing that if you're not doing so. So I don't know. I'm curious what Maddie's going to say. She says a lot of things in this interview that I think are, are pretty interesting and not what you would hear from really any other Republican, uh, especially your MAGA brand, you know, QAnon brand Republicans like she's she's certainly not that. So I'll let her I'll let her continue. But I have to be willing to make the steps go forward to, for us to get to that place yep. on educational attainment. The other area that we're not talking about, um, or I am now, and, and there's not a lot of women mayors, so maybe my voice gets drowned out, but women in the workforce are facing a significant cliff because of COVID. Right. We're now at female workforce numbers. We were in the early 1980s, and the number one issue they're telling you about is childcare. They cannot find a place that is affordable and quality for their children, so they have involuntarily left the workforce to go home, yep. and that is a huge section of the population that was already underpaid, already underemployed, and now you've added an extra element for them to be less successful. And we're going to do something about that in Fort Worth. So I'm curious what she's going to do about that. But I think that's fantastic that she's advocating for women's rights in this way, essentially saying we need, you know, child care, you know, free daycare, essentially, maybe potentially longer maternity leave. Um, stuff like this, like what she's you know, saying, this is an economic issue because women are having to leave the workforce to take care of these things. Um, and she later on advocates for Medicaid expansion, which would kind of provide, uh, some sort of relief in this regard a little bit. Um, so and, and at the city level, like what is Fort Worth going to do about it? I don't, I don't know. I'm curious to see what she comes up with, but th that's a, that's great that that's an issue. You, that's not usually a right wing issue, right? Um, that tends to be something people on the left say. Uh, so I don't know. Cool. Um, so I'm thinking about the agenda post-pandemic and how it would probably have been different if it had not been a pandemic for any mayor, not just you. I want to start with public health. I want to talk about a few issues that necessarily emerge from this conversation. I want to start with public health. Fort Worth has challenges like any big city on the public health front. Nothing new. 
Um, I looked up this morning the uninsured rate in this city. It's about one in five, a little bit less than one in five, at or slightly above the state average. Texas is in turn twice the national average. This is unfortunately one of the superlatives in all the wrong ways that we get the claim. Most uninsured state in the country. I asked you during the runoff period, remember I came and did a, a, a program with you and Ms. Peoples, your remaining uh, opponent during the runoff before you got elected. I asked you about Medicaid expansion as one way to possibly address this. And you told me you thought that the legislature should have taken some action on Medicaid expansion, which is an, an, an outlier position for people who self-identify as Republicans, even though you're a nonpartisan mayor, to take in this state. You know the numbers. The estimate is we put 600 million in, we get 5.4 billion back, nearly 1.3 million Texans become eligible for coverage. Coming out of the pandemic, is that an issue that, and don't look at Craig Goldman or Beverly Powell in the face when you answer this, but is that an issue that the legislature needs to get back on its horse on, do you think, next time in view of what's happened over these last two years? Absolutely. And yeah. I think both of them have heard me talk about this separately, so it's not going to be a surprise to them. Yeah. And I said, so, you know, he said there that she's a nonpartisan mayor, too. So I just want to make that clear. I've been calling her a Republican. We all kind of know and understand that she was running on the right. But yes, her official, she officially doesn't have a party. She's a nonpartisan, just like all the council members, technically. Uh, so, yeah, so I just want to, yeah. Said this for you when we had the discussion with Ms. Peoples. I support Medicaid expansion. 100%. Period, paragraph. No, quali no qualification. And Boom. And so that was kind of the headline right there because, again, as someone on normally on the right, that's not, uh, that's not your stance. If, if you're not aware, if you don't know, uh, listener, what, what she's talking about, what the Medicaid expansion is, essentially, uh, when Obamacare took an effect, it, it, uh, one of the things that it was doing was expanding Medicaid, expanding the the, the number of people who would qualify for Medicaid, which is our, you know, limited version of free healthcare. Um, and it was decided by the Supreme Court, if, if I remember correctly, it, it was struck down, that, that part of it was struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, and so it became up to the states to opt in for this Medicare expansion, but it couldn't be mandated by the federal government for all the states. And so all of the conservative states, I don't remember the exact number, 30 states, 32 states or something like that, um, didn't, chose not to expand Medicare, meaning chose not to help more of their citizens of their states by giving them or letting them have access to free health care. So people suffer from this. You could argue people in certain circumstances died from this. Um, they, had, they would have lived had they have had this Medicare. You know, people, it's, it's such a tragedy that people go medically bankrupt in this country, that medical bankruptcy is something that just doesn't exist in most of the modern developed world. Uh, and so, but it does here. And it's just kind of, you know, the, the normal way of go about doing things. So Texas is one of those states since then, since over the past, you know, since 2000, when it was at 2012, um, you know, I guess the past 10 years, more states have opted in over time, not all of them still. And Texas still is one of those holdout states where they're just like, no, we don't want, you know, it's, it's just goes back to the, the, you could look at the Abbott administration uh, and even the ones before that, where it's just this very staunch, you know, opposition to federal government uh, and federal, quote unquote, overreach. And so this is like this is essentially free money from the federal government that they're not taking um, because it's the federal government and they don't want any help from the federal government. So but as a result, the, the citizens of Texas, the people who need need Medicaid uh, the most are the ones that don't get it. So here we have, you know, uh, a, a right-leaning, a right-wing person, our, our mayor, Maddie, is advocating for that and saying, yes, we need that. So I'm going to let her continue speaking on that. I 
right? Yeah. I realize that it's an incredibly difficult policy area, and that may be unpopular with some people of the party of which I used to identify with. But I can tell you that right now in the state of Texas, in Fort Worth, you have families that are without health insurance simply because we have not expanded Medicaid. And there's not been an alternative presented in the state of Texas to replace Medicaid expansion. So I simply ask the question, what are we going to do about it? And if there is a better option, let's hear about it, that we didn't get there during last session. And maybe because of COVID, maybe because of public education discussion, the energy grid, there were a lot of other important distractions, but we have to talk about it seriously. And it's personal to me. I was a Medicaid kid. I was on CHIP in high school and college. That's how I held health insurance. My mom was a single mom. She's like, this just won't add up, right? I can't afford insurance for my employer. We're going to find it somewhere else. And it was state health insurance or S-CHIP at the time. So I am a living example of how important it was for my family to have health insurance. And I am not afraid to go to Austin, be unpopular in that area, but importantly, roll up the sleeves because I've had conversations in Fort Worth and Tarrant County with some of our top healthcare administrators, physicians, our um, community health clinics. They are begging for something different because we have a population of people that are currently under, underinsured and therefore they don't have access to the healthcare they have to have. Right now, you know, Mayor. Yeah. And if you just want to, it's so fantastic to, you know, she's giving her personal lived experience and she's like, I use this stuff and it benefited me personally. And like, that's, that's important that she's speaking out about that, but there are so many other people, you know, who, who can relate to that. And, you know, additionally, if you want to make the economic argument, I mean, this this is more expensive. What we have costs more money because people don't have this this expanded healthcare, so they're forced to have to go to emergency rooms and forced to have to you know do things that end up costing the system more money. If you end up you know being bankrupt and homeless on the street, then that's that's you know that also costs money. If you anytime people are are uh, you know disaffected or are uh, negatively impacted um, by these things, they just end up in a worse system, whether that being, you know, uh, like in an, e- in an ER setting rather than having that totally paid or, uh, you know, going going to subpar clinics or, you know, if you worse than that, you end up in the, the homeless shelter system or the criminal justice system. So, I mean, uh, if, you know, if we just had this expanded where people had this taken care of, uh, it, they wouldn't have this financial burden we wouldn't have this you know things that actually end up costing us more money like just for the example throwing out the one of the systems because this is the one stat i know like the criminal justice system what is it it's about 60 grand a year i believe i wish amber was here because she knows the real data but uh that's something we've discussed multiple times on the podcast per person for like just to keep somebody in jail for a year it's and feed them and house them and, and all that stuff which that treatment in itself is like subpar and like not what it should be but just as the like the the crappy version that it is it still costs you know about 60 grand uh per person per year and so it's like that's why why would we pay for that like that that that's just one example of of these types of costs that we end up actually having to you know to pay that we just don't think about if we if we built the system in a way that would be preventative, you know, and like people wouldn't end up uh, in this sort of, you know, these types of things uh, that would help. And so I know I'm making kind of a stretch here, a conjecture, like we're talking about two different systems, healthcare and criminal justice, but I'm just trying to illustrate how these things can have like downstream consequences, right? So, okay, um, let's see, I'm gonna jump ahead just a little, well, we're, we're pretty much there. She's gonna talk about property taxes next. And I thought this was pretty interesting. I'm just gonna let it run. People in the audience know that people who are sick, who don't have insurance, will sometimes go to the emergency room. They won't be turned away. They'll be treated. Won't cost them anything. Cost the rest of us something. It comes back to us in the form of uncompensated care costs 
show up in our property tax bills. So there's a natural conversation that goes from healthcare to property tax. I want to ask you about that. Nobody likes property taxes. We can stipulate that, right? Everybody wants to see them be lower, but a city has to pay its bills. And I remember in 2019 when the discussion was about the legislature, which does not set property tax rates, but can get involved in the sense of capping the year-over-year -year growth, at least without the assent of local voters. That was the bill that passed in 2019. Um, it was controversial even to do that, just to, to cap the rate of growth. A number of local officials, including your former boss, Betsy Price, again, who was, like you, self-identified at one point as a Republican, went to the legislature, told local legislators, people from this area, I don't think this is a good idea. You're tying our hands. There is talk of continuing down the path of reducing property taxes further. And again, popular to do it, to talk about it. But ultimately, as a mayor, you still have to pay your bills. So like, man, taxes. Okay. I know, I know taxes can be boring for some people, but like, here's it. There's it. This is so important because like we will, if we wonder why is our system broken? Why isn't it functioning? Uh, part of these reasons, especially in our state is because of with, with the right wing Republican perspective, libertarian perspective, small government, small government, shrink it down, shrink it down, make it as small as possible so it doesn't intrude in people's lives. Well, one of the best ways to do that is to just not fund it, right? Make sure it doesn't have any money to do what people are trying to use it for. Uh, and so taxes is the money that the state uses to do stuff. And if the state can't raise enough funds to do stuff because it's restricted about how it can do taxes, then that's one way you can achieve the small government thing. So property taxes is really the only way in this state that cities can raise money. Um, you have sales tax, but there's a cap on that, and it can really only be bumped up with bond, uh, bond elections, I believe. And that's it. We don't have a state income tax, which is, you know, appealing. I think we, we, as a citizen, we're like, oh, great. I don't have to pay a state income tax. That's fantastic. Uh, and when people move here, that's one of the things we're like, hey, look, you don't got to pay a state income tax here in Texas. Pretty cool. But what that does is that restricts the amount of money that goes into the government. It has less, less money to use, less money to go around to spend on you know, things like infrastructure or like paying teachers more or building better schools or whatever. Uh, and so, you know, I know everyone hates taxes, but like you pretty much need taxes to to do all of these things. And so if you can't get it through a sales tax, really, because it's 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 a small, small tax and you can't get it through an income tax because there is no income tax, um, then you've got property taxes. That's pretty much all we're left with. So it's, it's like, why are property taxes always going up? Well, the cost of things are going up, you know, and that means the city has to spend more money to do stuff. Uh, and we've already, you know, seen the budget, talked about the budget, looked at see how much of the budget they're actually spending on stuff anyways. And yeah, most of that stuff's going to the police, um, you know, and or firefighters, which is great. We need that too. But uh, not enough of it's going to like fixing our crumbling bridges. Like, you know, you could, on Reddit the other week, people were pick, taking pictures of the bridge over Benbrook Lake on I-20 or like right over there by Benbrook. And uh, it's crumbling, uh, you know, pretty obviously. And they've tried to repair it very pitifully, um, you know, and that's stuff like that. Right. Like, you know, we, we, we talk about this over and over again, your social services. Um, so. Anyways, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm rambling. Let's listen to what Maddie has to say about all this. It's, it's pretty cool. Would you advise this legislature as they come back in to leave property taxes where they are, given what you know about the reality of your budget? 
Yeah, the reality is we're living within the legislature's confinement and creation of the revenue cap. Yeah. And we've been successful in Fort Worth, and we still lower the rate every single budget that we can as much as we can, and it's a debate we have around the table every time. Um, the reality is when you open your property tax bill in the city of Fort Worth, approximately one-third of your entire bill are city property taxes. So then you have to ask yourself, what am I getting for my money? Police, fire, streets, trash, parks, libraries. I think we're getting a pretty darn good deal. It's not perfect. Believe me, we don't like in the Parker household writing a property tax check, but the problem is not with your cities. And it's unfortunate that cities in Texas have become the target. So my work is cut out for me because what I want to try to do, and it's not going to be easy, is work alongside both parties in the legislature to tell that story better. Because I can tell you, if I just take my mayor hat off and as, a, as someone that has watched a lot of successful advocacy efforts happen in the past, cities were doing themselves no favors, right? Marching to Austin, picking fights. Yep. It just was unsuccessful. And a lot of that is not going to get won during the session. It's going to have to be working in the interim. And the reality is in Texas, we're a two-legged stool, right? You have sales tax and you have property taxes. That's how you fund city governments. We don't get any other money. And, and we don't have a property tax in the state of Texas. And right now, I can tell you, that's not going to change anytime soon, right? So you're right. not going to have income taxes. So this we, is- We've made income taxes in Texas illegal like yeah, 15 different do, ways, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah, been, yeah. So you're, you're not going to get there. So this is the reality we face. And I don't think we've told that story. Right. And the sales tax, and the sales tax, we can also just say, as a matter of fact, right. is regressive. Right. And there wasn't- And what he means by that is the sales tax effect is regressive. It affects poor people more than it affects rich, rich people because everybody- pays the same sales tax, right? So if you got more money, that sales tax is a smaller percentage of your income uh, than if you don't have a lot of money. So you, typically you want progressive taxes because you're gonna get more money for your taxing, and which means more money to use to spend on stuff. Uh, and so you want progressive taxes. You wanna be taxing those who have more money, like corporations and the, and the extra wealthy. You want them to be you know, being taxed at a higher rate. And this is where we come into, you know, how taxes, uh, people evade taxes, how the rich people finagle things or make laws or use loopholes to not have to pay taxes. So regular people like you and me end up paying a larger percentage of our smaller, you know, money that we've accumulated than, you know, those who have way more money. You know, if you take 15% of of a, a you know a thousand dollars, that's that's a hundred and fifty bucks. But if you take fifteen percent of you know a billion dollars, that's that's a significantly larger you know number, right? So okay, keep going. There's a discussion also in 2019 about the possibility of lowering the property taxes and raising the sales tax, and then that was scotched. Mm -hmm. You would not be for that. Not necessarily for replacing it. No, but again, for me, I've got plenty on my plate. My focus is on city and running the yeah. city of Fort Worth. And like I said, we are not the culprit, right? Of, of the situation. And I'm not putting blame on any other jurisdiction. I'm just telling you the way the city of Fort Worth operates, I would put us against any other city in the country as being very fiscally responsible and trying to make sound decisions within the revenues that are given to us and yeah. also keeping a cap on our own property tax rate as best as we can. Okay. Um, so so she's, I mean, she's not, she's not skirting the issue. She's just kind of saying like, look, don't blame the city. Like this is, this is how the state laws are set up. Like this is the state Thing. If you got an issue with the ticket with the state, the city is doing the best that they can uh, with within its constraints, which you could say they are, they're not. You can have different varying opinions about that, sure. Uh, you know, but it would be nice for this for the city to have more money, and it would be nice for the city to have more money without having to raise everybody's property taxes, right? 
Um, but that's pretty much like the only option that we really got right now. Like, I, for, I don't know enough about this stuff, but like to me, it seems like we could maybe tax the companies that are here. I don't know if it's just their property taxes, right? But maybe, or, or I guess what you could do is have some sort of state, the state of Texas, you know, fund or give taxes back based on money that it brings in right because the state of texas brings in a bunch of money it could give that back to the cities in some way and i'm sure it, they it sure it does in some way shape or form here and there but maybe we could see more of that i don't know i'm just trying to think of you know different types of solutions listener if you've got any ideas shoot us a shoot us a tweet staying back on the things that you can control and that you are focused on and forth let me ask you about crime a lot of big cities are dealing with the uh, with a question of crime and a lot of mayors are getting asked a lot of questions about in particular the homicide. okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and skip this so we can kind of keep this rolling the crime thing it's interesting it's not i mean it's just it's just she just kind of talks about how chief noakes is awesome and and she does admit that crime is rising and that we need we need more cops and that we need to crack down harder on that more crime um so, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of the same stuff we always do. I really wanted to hear what Amber had to say about this because she's got, you know, the spiciest opinions in these regards. But since she's not here with us, um, to me, that wasn't one of the more engaging parts of this conversation. So I'm just going to kind of keep moving us ahead. Uh, however, listener, if you're interested, go click on the link below. It's around the 28, uh, no, 23, 23 minute mark is when, when they talk about crime. They talk about it for about five or six minutes. So now we're going to move on to, she talked about this a, brief, a little bit earlier, but she's going to talk more about education. I have, in fact, Superintendent Scribner on a panel tomorrow morning over in Dallas with a couple of other superintendents who decided that this is not the job for them anymore. Um, and that's before we talk about things like parental involvement in curriculum, the fight over books in libraries, the fight over who gets to play sports, and school boards as the new octagon, right? Everybody inside the cage throwing punches. Mayor, talk about where we are and what we need to be doing. How do we think about public education coming out of this? Because obviously this is maybe the most hotly charged issue of them all, right? Well, I know one thing we're not talking about are student outcomes and how kids are doing. Yeah, we've been distracted right. by all the other Yeah, and like that made me happy to hear her say that as a teacher because I agree. Like the students and actually like their perspective on this whole thing and like how they're doing is like not being taken into account really at all in all of this crazy school stuff that's been going on in regards to all sorts of different stuff. And like a lot of students just don't even know that this stuff is going on. Like you have your districts, you have, I'm sure South Lake, a lot of the students are way more aware of it. Places like that where there actually are these hardcore crackdowns here in Fort Worth, like we're such a big district and maybe some of the schools are worse than us, but at my school, man, like a lot of the students don't even know what is going on with CRT. And cause I've, I kind of at the beginning of the year assumed they did and they, they didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, I had initially like printed off the bill that said I couldn't talk about X, Y, or Z regarding, you know, politics or regarding them contacting their, their representatives or regarding, you know, specific things about race. I put it on my wall. Uh, no one noticed it. No one cared. The students had no, the one time I referred to it, the students had no idea what I was talking about. And so now again, with like, uh, you know, the trans kids cracked down, I mean, I'm sure my, my LGBTQIA students are aware of that, but, but beyond them, like, because they just seem to be more politically aware anyways. Um, I don't think it's, I haven't heard any of the students refer to it or talk about it. It's, it's, um, it's weird. It's weird. Um, but yeah, I agree with, with her, like the students and like what's actually best for them and what's, what's, uh, what's affecting them has like not really been uh, a focus on this past year plus year and a half. Yeah, We're talking right? about everything else. Right. 
and we've stopped talking about how our students are performing in schools. And so for Fort Worth ISD, which by the way is not the only ISD we have in Fort Worth, only half of our students attend Fort Worth ISD, the other half attend another ISD in Fort Worth. So I don't want anybody to think that we don't know that and I'm not working with those other districts. Right. But Fort Worth is our largest. <clears throat> and because we have a transition of our superintendent, I want our focus to be on how do we make sure our students are reading at grade level, making sure they can do algebra in the eighth grade the way they need to, and importantly, what is their path out of high school to make sure they're successful in the economy. We have not been talking about any of that because of the finger pointing and pitting families against each other because of the choices they're making in education. So there it, there it is again. I want to take it back just a little bit and listen to her say it again. Their path out of high school to make sure they're successful in the economy. We have not been talking path out of high school to make sure they're successful in the economy. Now, I'm not just blaming for that framing. That is just like literally in this state, that's the point of education. The point of education is to get you in the economy and get you being a functioning, you know, productive member of the economy and have you make money for some or, you know, best case scenario, start your own company and make money. And it's just... It just kind of grosses me out, man. Like I just, and maybe I'm just like naive or maybe it's just like, I don't know. Uh, I need to get over it because this, this is the way that it is. This is the way it's really, it's been the whole time, but it's just like, man, I wish school was actually about like teaching you how to, you know, I don't know, function in this society, like not economic level, not on a, not on a transactional or a financial perspective, but just like as a human being. Uh, and like, I don't know, taught you how to, how to be happy and how to take care of yourself and like make, you know, I don't know, philosophy, like understanding the world that we live in and like really dissecting big things. Like it's just really this rote, uh, you know, the, and the kids know it. They say this stuff all the time. Like it's, it's just getting us ready to, to work. It's just getting us ready for a nine to five. We are, we're already on like a nine to five type schedule. If you take in their, uh, or not, they, they, they gotta be to school way before nine, but you know, they add in their extracurriculars. They're, they're, they're up at the school, you know, sometimes till five or six, uh, and they got homework that they got to do and they got to get up, you know, it's just that they, they feel like they're getting trained to, to go into the workforce and that's exactly what they're doing. So, you know, I'm not blaming Maddie for, for that take or that opinion. She's, she's just calling it like it is, but and I guess she comes from education. I need to figure out more about that, but she dropped that earlier. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. That's that's disheartening to me. That just I just want to remind you guys. I, I know I know I know I talk about this all the time, but it's just yeah, it just bothers me. Talking about any of that because of the finger pointing and pitting families against each other because of the choices they're making in education, and it makes me sad, frankly. Um, but I'm also empowered to work alongside our school board members yeah. and parents across this community to get it right for Fort Worth kids. Who is to blame for that? Who is not talking about attainment, but instead is talking about all this other stuff over here? I mean, you could blame media. You could blame what the new, next big headline is. You could blame Republicans. You could blame Democrats. But I don't really think that does you any good. Um, that's my opinion. I think we have to acknowledge that every single family, every single student deserves access to a high-quality education regardless of their zip code. And right now in Texas, and right now- 100%, 100%. On Fort Worth, that is simply not the case. And is the school district or the school districts plural, are they not doing a good enough job? I think one thing they're not doing a good job at is yeah. communication. And some of it, I guess, is understandable because school board meetings used to be kind of sleepy, yeah, right? Yeah, they're not sleepy anymore. Not sleepy sure. anymore. Right. Um, I joke, but right now their meetings are at the same time as council meetings sometimes, and sometimes we're okay with that. Um, right. 
right. the people who used to line up Man. for hours to ask crazy questions are now going yeah, over Yeah, now they're all at the school board. Sorry. Right. right. Um, Which, like, actually, like, that's kind of messed, right? Like, that we're going to schedule, you know, important meetings for, you know, people who live in your community uh, and schedule those meetings at the same time so, like, less people can be that. I don't know. I get her point as a mayor, like you don't want the the quote unquote crazies like stirring up trouble at your meeting. But at the same time, like in, you know, crazies aside, like crazies are going to be crazies. Uh, people need to be able to attend these things. And if you've got a, a school board meeting and a city meeting at the same time, like I don't know, that's kind of messed up. Yeah. So do you, do you think then that, you know, this is a moment when members like Representative Goldman and Senator Powell are thinking about the next session and the agenda, a word that I hear over and over is choice, that we're going to have a conversation again about choice. We'll talk about charters, which we sort of always do. We talk about vouchers, which we sort of stop doing, but may start doing again coming out of this. Is that the conversation you want them to have? I think they're going to have it no matter what. I think yeah. my hope is because I likely have more experience working in education specifically, I have been in our traditional ISD schools. I have been in our charter schools. I have been in our private schools. and I have worked with homeschool advocates. I have seen it all. What I care about is that child is happy, fulfilled, and on the right pathway. Um, but you can't do it on the backs of anybody else. And for me, I'm probably your only mayor that publicly in the state of Texas has outwardly already stated, um, I appreciate our charter school community. And I think there is a place for them. And I have supported their tenure in Fort Worth. Yeah. High-performing charter schools. However, I also believe so strongly as the, as the granddaughter of a high school principal in Heiko, Texas, which, by the way, I didn't even know what a private school was when I went to UT. Um, we have to make sure our traditional ISDs are performing where they need to be. And that is in every single zip code. And yes, you can get there without it being partisan. And you can get there without pitting one parent against the other. Because I've seen it. I have literally been a part of a conversation where a parent says, well, you're a charter school parent, so you don't care. Right? How did we get to that place where you choose something for your family that you believe is best? Right? Or you choose private school for your kid. Um, and you can't possibly care any different. I actually listened to Mayor Johnson talked to the Musers um, just two days ago, yesterday. The Musers. Shout out to the Musers. She, she listens to the ticket. I don't know. That's I don't know. She listens to the ticket. That's pretty cool, right? 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 I don't know. I'm, just, I'm not saying. I'm just saying, you know. And he talked openly about his journey to Green Hill and how important it was for his success as a kid from South Dallas. So we, we're missing the mark, right? Because we've now created this dynamic where we care more about I guess, what party's saying what, and I think we've got a lot of work to do, and I, I'm, I actually am excited about getting to work and advocate on that issue in Austin, and I'm not saying I'll have all the answers or be able to be the silver bullet, but I know they're gonna, that's going to be a key issue, yeah. um, and I want us to focus on students. Okay. So, like, I don't know 100% agree with her, of course, but I, it's nice to see, like, that she's impassioned about this. Like, you can definitely see that she's got feelings about this. Uh, she feels strongly that you know not enough is being done in education in general which i agree i agree i think maybe more emphasize the public schools and de-emphasize a little bit of the charter schools you know um but besides that like yeah i i, I you know I, I i agree with her sentiment and her overall take it's but this is what i'm talking about like i never and maybe i just wasn't watching enough which granted i wasn't like i wasn't watching everything betsy price did for sure um but it just never felt like we really got her being like open, you know, emotionally about issues. And um, this is just, you know, she's just laying out how she feels. I, I just see, 
I don't, you know, I, I guess for lack of a better word, honest, I, I feel weird calling politici politicians honest, right? Because we've got to be real like they're politicians. Um, but at the same, I, you know, I just get this not, this isn't coming across as like fake. And I just like that in a person. And I like the fact that she listens to the ticket. Like, that's really cool. Uh, so, yeah. So, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about these takes? Uh, shoot it, hit us up on social media. You know, if you, if you got, if you disagree or if you disagree with her, you know. What do you think of our, our formerly Republican mayor? Is, is she sounding very Republican so far? Um, so yeah, so now we're going to get to the voting, uh, voting stuff. Uh, and Evan kind of asks her a pretty good question. Um, we just had a primary a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still thinking about what happened. We have runoffs coming up. I want to ask you about voting. A lot of talk about voting this year. Uh, and, and in particular, the impact of the overhaul of election law. We talked about that back in June. In fact, we were together during the runoff. The overhaul of election law passed by this legislature, signed into law by this governor. The Associated Press reported last week that 23,000 mail-in ballots in the state of Texas were rejected during this primary season, 13% of the total. Normal rejection rate in an election previously was 2%. In the 2020 election, it was less than 1%. In Tarrant County specifically, more than 11,500 people voted by mail. And of those, more than 8% were not accepted are you concerned about whether a lot. that's a significant that's a statistically significant number for sure as mayor your constituents sufficiently have access to vote given the changes that took place in the last century so i'm more concerned with how few people actually do go vote period well you're going to be disappointed because right. that's been bad forever right I mean, but, that's but, but a, we, we talk right. about it though evan we yeah. talk about it we complain about it we don't actually do anything about it so that's well, number one well, so we don't okay okay like uh you know, obviously that's true. We have to say that a million times. That's kind of like literally why we exist is to trying to get more people to vote. If you know, vote for, or you know what's going on, you're more likely to vote. Right. And also when even those of us who go, who do vote, a lot of times we get in there and we don't know how more than half the names on the ballot. Uh, and so that, so that's, that's what we're here, here to do to help. So obviously agree with that take, but what she's not answering the, she's totally sidestepping this, like that doesn't address at all the voter suppression issue. That's that's almost like a complete thing. So, and Evan kind of reels around it. But couldn't you address that, but couldn't you address yeah. that by making it easier to register, easier to vote? Wouldn't that be one potential way to get more people to vote? Possibly. But, so I'll answer your question specifically, though, but that's yeah. still my number one issue, right. um, is let's take Tarrant County, for instance. And I have not sat down with Hyder Garcia yet, who's our election administrator, but he's not going to do that. So I understand from his mouth, what does he think happened in Tarrant County with our ballots um, it's based on my reading and understanding that a lot of the mail-in ballots that were rejected was specifically an issue with folks that didn't put in their, their driver's license or voter ID number right. um, for a variety of reasons that got rejected. Yeah, 815 of the nine. I have the numbers. Okay. 815 of the 945 were rejected because they didn't put the proper ID number on. Yeah, and I also, I also read the article that Star-Telegram um, wrote specifically about certain voters. One woman in particular has a major disability who yeah. was essentially asked to just show up and vote and said, right, um, I am worried about that. I, I totally didn't understand, having worked on campaigns and Republican campaigns for a while, um, unsolicited voter application by mail was a big thing we used to do. So I didn't know why that went away, a little concerned. Um, I've never agreed with 24-hour voting. So that's interesting. You know, the, the automatic registration by mail, like that's something, I, I didn't know that that was something that, that normally happened, you know, up until recently. So... As a Republican, she's kind of like, hey, why'd we stop doing that? That was, you know, that's good for who, whichever side, you know, if you've got it for one, you've got it for the other. But like, um, 
that would be a good thing. You want, we want to register more people to vote for your party if you're doing that party. So that she's kind of admitting that, hey, that that's negatively affected them as well, like getting rid of that. She's not sure it's a good strategy. But then there she goes, she says, I'm not for 24 hour voting. Now, I'm totally for 24 hour voting, but she does have, she brings up regarding logistics. Mostly because how would you ever staff a poll for 24 hours? We have problems right now keeping polls open seven to seven. And so that's my personal belief. And, we're, and until you have an overabundance of volunteers and poll workers, you should never open more hours. I think we do a pretty darn good job. And so she's not wrong. Worth um, even, we had a couple of issues that I put Telegram covered it. You can look it up. I, I, I guess I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes um, where there was um, a couple of polling places where they didn't have enough staffers there. And so there weren't, I believe it was, there weren't enough Republican um, Vo- vo- uh, volunteers and so the democrats had to like help people who were doing republican stuff uh and so that you know that and i think i want to say it was two different polling places that had experienced something like that so that's just one example here in our city like yeah i don't know if we could even staff something like that but again this is kind of comes back to you know being engaged being active in your community being civically engaged volunteering it was nice to see actually when, when i did vote uh, when we did early voting for the for the primaries, one of the the vo- the volunteers there was younger than me. It was in like their mid twenties. I was like, oh, fantastic! Because usually, uh, when Amber and I go in there, you know, we're, we're the youngest people in there by far because everyone's like seventy or eighty. So it'd be nice, you know, that's people engaged. That was fantastic to see. I hope we can see more of that. But she she's right about that. But specifically to voter by mail at ballots, we've got to create a balance. And I don't know what that is. You know, if now we know that ninety percent of the problem is the way people are filling out their voter ID number. So what are we going to tell voters differently right. to make sure that their ballot's not rejected? Or maybe there's a future tweak. Remember when the voter ID law in this state passed originally, they only limited the number of IDs that you could show to prove yourself right. you, who you were. And then eventually they came back and they added Extended a bunch that. of additional yeah. ones. So maybe there's yeah. a tweak to this ultimately. Yeah. Um, we've talked about population growth in a couple of different contexts. I want to talk about that. So I'm always marveling when I give talks around the state at how Fort Worth has gone from 16th to 15th to 13th to 12th. Now lapping at Austin's heels. Austin is number 11. Um, in the space of just a few years, this is obviously a boom town. There's no way to think of it otherwise. As you say, fastest growing big city. How do you maintain what's distinct about Fort Worth in the face of all this growth? We've been grappling with that in Austin. I would argue not very well. You could drop me down blindfolded from a helicopter in Austin like an old fraternity prank, and I would go, I don't know where the hell I am anymore. How do you avoid that being the fate of Fort Worth? Um, well, I would agree with you a little bit. Having gone to UT and grew up in Austin, my grandparents lived there. Right. I was there for South by Southwest. And by the way, the people watching was fantastic at South by. Right. Um, but it is a different city. But there's now an Hermes store in Austin. It's yeah. over, basically. That's <laughs> the end of it, right? That's it. The city is ruined. That's it. <laughs> no going back. Uh, but for Fort Worth, I think, A, we're lucky because we can also watch these other big cities like Austin that grew so quickly and maybe arguably changed too much. There's a debate there. And le- make, take some lessons learned. Yeah. I think a few things bode well in our favor. I'll give you some specific examples. First of all, our neighborhoods and communities that continue to remain unique and specific, and you have robust neighborhood organizations across the city, and that's commercial corridors and residential keep a uniqueness. So think about Fort Worth. You have near Southside. Now you have Race Street. You have Downtown. You have West 7th. You have Linwood. You have the Stockyards. You have the Cultural District. You have Southside. I could keep going. All of these neighborhoods have loud, beautiful voices that are telling you what they want for their city. And it's not no progress. But it is very unique, and the same thing won't go in one neighborhood or the other. And I do believe the city of Fort Worth and my predecessors as well have listened very well. And it's why having great council members in office is incredibly important to be your eyes and ears. It's why empowering the right city staff members and listening to neighborhood is important. And if you compare, I've tried to do this for other people if you're familiar with Austin, 
take 6th Street in Austin, not 36th, West 6th, all the way down, but like the Mopac area, right? Yeah, right. Um, that's a completely transformed area. Like Don's Depot is like the only thing left standing, right? Right. If you compare that area to our Camp Bowie district, Camp Bowie has changed and progressed, but it is still Camp Bowie, right? And we do have progress, like the Bowie House Hotel and the Crescent development that John Goff is doing. But the, the Crescent Hotel is a great example of the things that tried to happen before it was developed. And the cultural district and the museums got to dictate what they wanted and needed to preserve the sight lines, especially for the Kimball. And that's how you ended up with this world-class development at the Crescent. That is a fantastic example of Fort Worth stepping up to say, and Cultural District Alliance, I should mention, was a huge part of that, stepping up to say, this is, development is wonderful, progress is great, but up to a point. Yeah. And we want to preserve our corridors and our neighborhood as much as possible. Good. So that's an interesting, that's a good take. I don't, I'm, I'm sorry for the audio. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if that's her wireless mic or if that's my internet. I can't, I can't really tell. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. I, I agree that Fort Worth, you know, has these, these neighborhoods kind of still do feel, they do feel the same. They still, they still do have their integrity and we haven't lost that. I guess we haven't become so homogenized that everything seems the same. I mean, I think you can't same for some of the suburbs and like Arlington included, like the vibe Arlington, you know, I don't know, maybe vibe is the wrong word. Obviously there's you got the colleges there and the stadiums and everything. But when it comes to like the, you know, I guess it really is the suburbs, but I think if you look at like Mansfield and Burleson and like Waxahachie, like off the freeway, it's all the same stores and shop and stuff right you kind of are just seeing that like suburban uh america like yeah, it's not just a texas thing right like that's just that's there fort worth neighborhoods aren't that you know for the most part and now obviously she didn't list all of them she didn't she only listed like a select you know kind of centralized group of neighborhoods but hey uh you know you can't you don't have can't say all of them i guess on stage but that, that you know you know what i'm saying so i don't know i it's weird to hear someone say, you know, we want, uh, we want change, we want progress, but not too much, you know, but I understand that because I guess if you, if you apply that, we want, we want a lot of progress and you apply that geographically to a section of a city, you're talking about gentrification. So, you know, it's true. We don't want to change the character, um, of, of a certain place. Um, you know, people have attachments to those things. It's, it's rep, you know, it kind of makes the city what it is. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think, listener? We'll keep on going. We just got a couple more left. So that's Dallas compared to Austin. I'm sorry, Dallas. Jeez, Louise. Fort Worth compared to Austin. Uh, and now she's going to get to kind of the meat of it. This next, this next chunk is like what she has to say about the Republican Party. Uh, and then we're going to get to some endorsements that she has. Uh, Evan, I'm glad Evan asked her these questions. Uh, those are interesting. And that's pretty much it. So we'll, we'll wrap it up here shortly. We're going to go to questions from you all and from some folks who've submitted them in, a, in advance in about five minutes or so. So there's a microphone over here if you want to jo join or over here. You're welcome to line up, and I'm happy to call on you. Uh, you said earlier something that I noted I wanted to come back to. You said, referring to yourself as a Republican, you said, the party with which I used to identify. Are you no longer a Republican? No, I, I try not to. I was told once by someone trying to advise me, don't lead with that because it makes immediately half the audience decide you suck. But we know that, that literally but we, but we know you you we know that you are a nonpartisan mayor sure. and in your previous life you self-identified as a Republican yeah. and you still do. Yeah. How do you feel about the party right now? I'm so confused. Right? We just eat our own. And and I couldn't run in a primary right now. 
Well, you just said you'd expand Medicaid. You're dead before you even file. Absolutely. I couldn't run in a primary. And I'm okay with that. Honestly, like, I didn't run for mayor to think about the next step. I'm mayor in a nonpartisan office. I'm just telling you right now, I could not run in a Republican primary because I just couldn't look myself in the mirror and do it. Because? Because it's gotten so partisan. I just want to spend, like, two hours talking about that. I know. but So everybody lock the doors. We're staying. But we eat our own, right? Yeah. And let me give you an example, and then I'll shut up about it. When my predecessor was called by Mayor Mike Rawlings the morning, and I'll get emotional talking about it, that she had to go to Dallas and greet the President of the United States, President Obama, who landed on the tarmac. He called her and he said, the President's coming to my city. I've lost police officers. I have family members in my living room. I can't get across town to meet him at Love Field. Would you, Mayor, come two hours early, put on a suit, and get there? You know what she said? I'm on my way. She drove and met President Obama on the tarmac. That picture got used in a mailer against her. Because the, she wasn't county, Republican enough. And the county judge was. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Tell the whole story. Don't take snapshots of someone's tenure in public service. I can't, I can't tell you how disappointing that is. Yeah. And it happens all the time to people on both sides of the aisle way too much. And I'm fortunate that with my fellow council members, we don't have to do that at the city level. We can be better and be better as exam- better examples. Yeah. So um so I didn't know that 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 we didn't get those mailers, obviously, because we're not Republicans. But I thought that, you know, I guess that's not surprising that they would use. Oh, here's Mayor Betsy Price shaking hands with Obama. She's not real. After that, that stuff that we watched, what was it? Tim O'Hare videos that we watched last episode. Uh, you know, that that seems about right. It probably was Tim O'Hare's campaign that did that, too. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so, yeah, like. She's definitely not Republican. This is where I, I want to hear. It's weird not having other people here to bounce off of. Like, I want to ask everybody what they think of this, because like this on one hand to me is I'm glad, you know, like if we're going to have a quote unquote Republican, someone on the right, I know technically she's nonpartisan, but if we're going to have someone like that in office, like obviously this is the type of person like that, that I would like to have like a, a, a moderate someone you know, reasonable, someone real, uh, not some insane, crazy psychopath, conspiracy theorist, sycophant, you know, like, and she's, she's definitely not that. So like, that's great. Not that I'm not talking about Betsy. Like she wasn't, she wasn't that either. She's maybe a little closer to that, but she wasn't that either, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, but on, on the other hand, I'm kind of like, because she's, you know, appealing in these sorts of ways that like it's her to find a good democratic candidate that's going to be competitive with this um again if she runs again i don't know i wouldn't be surprised if she does though um and that puts me in a weird spot because like i will i would want to vote for the person who's the progressive who's who's you know um but we're probably not going to get a progressive hearing for mayor to be real. Like De- Deborah Peoples was far from that, right? Um, and so I, I don't know. It just makes me feel weird. I have mixed feelings about it. That's all I'm trying to say. And I want other people to like help me work out my feelings on this. I don't know. Uh, here, he's gonna. Here's here comes some endorsements. And then this is again where I'm kind of like, Ugh. like she, like, Ugh. like support the governor. Like, like just that's just. Um, but then yeah, I'll let I'll let I'll let it, I'll let it roll. You just quickly on the question of elections and party, you endorsed George P. Bush for attorney general back in like September of last year. So he's in a runoff against Paxton. You will, you will support Commissioner Bush in there. I know Governor Abbott endorsed you in the 
mayor's race, you'll support Governor Abbott in the fall? Yes, I will. For, for governor. Okay. How about the Tarrant County DA's office? Who are you supporting in that runoff? I'm staying out of that one. No, oh, come I on. Am. I am. I'm staying out of that one. I am. I, I am. can't be honest Mayor Maddie Parker, and then I am. you I need am. to tell me who, who you're supporting. I'm, I'm, I am honestly staying out of that one. That's all I can tell you. Really? I, is, I it, is it because you don't like either of them? No, not necessarily. I have a personal friendship with Matt Krause and have for years and known Matt serving the legislature. Um, I'm just getting to know Mr. Sorrells. But if you've been friends with Krause for a long time. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, you're friends with Matt Krause. Like, what? Like, you're what? Uh, like, I'm glad, I'm glad you're for George P. Bush, I guess. Like, you're not, you're not a Ken Paxton fan. Like, I, you know, I think a lot of people aren't. So that's good. But like, oh, but you're friends with Matt Krause? Like, that guy? Really? Are you serious? The guy who's trying to ban books in a bunch of schools? Like, uh. Time and you're not endorsing him. That's kind of an endorsement, isn't it? Well, it's really not, though. And you have to remember, so, but... <laughs> I, I just, I'm just going to stay out of it. I just am. And I, I you know, I think that um, I'd gotten to know Molly Westfall a bit when she was running it before and had watched her and admired her, honestly, as a jurist um, and as an attorney here in town. And she didn't make it to this place. And so I'm just going to let the voters decide what's best in that race. Uh, yeah. Mayor, thanks. This, this was, this was really. So there we go. Um, so, yeah. What did you think about that? What did you, I felt we got to know the mayor in this kind of forum, in this setting. She, she was candid. It seemed like she was. Evan asked really good questions. Um, so yeah, so what did you, what did you think? What did you think? What did you think of Maddie? Also, what did you think of this format? Would you like us to do more stuff like this? Like dive into an interview or, or a breakdown? Maybe look at a couple of, maybe a debate breakdown or something at some point. So, um, if you, if you're interested in that type of content, we do, we do more stuff like that. So joining us, appreciate it. Um, and again, hopefully we'll have, we'll have some, uh, <laughs> some more of my co-hosts, uh, back with us, uh, in, on the next episode. We do need to get ready for the uh, runoffs that are coming up here on May 1st. Early voting for that here will start in just a couple of weeks. So if you're not already registered to vote, which I hope you are, um, if you're not, you got just a couple more days to register before we, before we get those runoffs. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, again, you can reach us uh, on Twitter, FWReview, on Instagram, Fourth Freedom Review, and at Gmail at FWFreedomReview. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next time. Fun. I appreciate you doing this.